I think I'm having an art attack. Welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your hosts, Lizzie Dastin and myself, Justin Bua. Lizzie is a art historian. She's a real deal college professor, guys, and she teaches art history. And I teach art, and I did teach art for many years. And now I just teach it on the radio with Lizzie. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, somebody that we actually personally know, somebody who's alive, Shepard Ferry. Uh, and Shepard is probably one of the most famous artists, I would say, and the most recognizable artists uh, walking the planet today. Uh, whether you love him, whether you hate him, you have definitely been influenced by his work, whether it's his uh, clothing or you've seen his murals or his stickers or his posters. You know his work. You've definitely been influenced by it. And he is really the epitome of an omnipresent artist. And he's one of my personal heroes. And I have long loved his work. And really? Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm okay. obsessed with Shepard Fairey. <laughs> like, in what way? I mean, in platonic, normal ways. Okay, good. I don't know <laughs> what you're looking for. Because you were like, obsession <laughs> usually comes with other, you know, I'm avenues. obsessed with the work of Shepard Fairey. Mm. But also, we can talk about our experience with him as a person, because mm -hmm. I think that that should be a part of the conversation, especially since, for me, it's so positive. Anyway... Shepard Ferry is an urban artist, and he started out at RISD, and he was making stickers, and he initially became really recognizable for his Obey sticker that ended up turning into wheat paste and prints and now murals and fine art and all of that. And it was this random image of Andre the Giant that he saw in a newspaper, and then with that, he said, Andre the Giant has a posse. And then eventually it became Andre the Giant and Obey. And what I really love about that is that it taps into our psychological impulse to forge meaning between image and text. And this is something art historically that people have been doing for hundreds of years, like Magritte with his treachery of images, that famous painting of a pipe right above the text in French, ceci n'est pas une pipe, which means this is not a pipe. And so it's challenging the image-text relationship. Another artist who did that of note is Joseph Kosuth, who was a conceptual artist, and he was playing with the concept of sign, signifier, and signified. And an example of that, he would have a real chair in a gallery next to a written definition of chair next to a photograph of that chair in that space. And which is the original? This really challenges viewers to think about relationships and what is the authentic truth. And I think Shepard Ferry, he was doing that too in his Obey campaign because it didn't mean anything. Obey doesn't have a natural relationship to Andre the Giant, but the reason it was so popular is because people who saw it thought that there had to be this relationship, and the, so they're constructing their own psychological meaning. And that is just a really brilliant way of introducing these fine art themes into an urban art space. Yeah, he, you could see that he was very uh, obsessed with skateboard culture 
I guess he was the quintessential skateboard art student, <clears throat> as he's been called. Um, but, you know, he he's also a... Let's take away all of the art for a second. He's He's been able to do something that no other or few other artists have been able to do, which is to translate his work into all these different worlds. You know what I mean? And the clothes, they're just another platform for his message, for his inquiry, for his political curiosity. And so I think it's appropriate. It's different in aesthetic from the actual fine art. And so there are similarities, but I would never confuse an Obey t-shirt with the language of his fine art canvases, especially the stuff he's doing now, which is a lot more sophisticated and introducing collage elements. So I just think that there's always going to be space for what he's doing. And this political activism is another significant aspect of his art. And he, the Obama, do you want to talk about that? I mean, I would say that his Obama uh, painting, the Hope painting, is probably one of the most influential and important pieces of our time because I believe that that painting single-handedly was a vanguard, a visual vanguard that led a revolution to vote. And I think that's really never happened before him and it certainly hasn't happened after him. And I think that 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 image was more idyllic than certainly Obama's ideology was. And he really made Obama feel like he was a superhero that was going to lead uh, the American youth into the promised land. And we all did. We saw that piece. That piece became the iconic image of a generation. And we voted for Obama. Did we get what we wanted? No, not exactly. But that was a really powerful example of how uh, important art can be as a light and as a message. And it was really, it became the quintessential message of this generation. And so I believe that that piece will be in Jansen or Gardner and some of the most important art history books of all time, because that was one of like, you know, I hate to say, you know, compare him to Delacroix, but you know, like a Eugene Delacroix's Liberty Leading the People, but it was like that, you know, it was so powerful of an image, and you saw it on every T-shirt, every bumper sticker, every poster. I mean, it was posterized, and it was freaking everywhere. And he did this. It was all autogenous. It was self-generated because he was supportive of Obama, and initially he wanted to write progress, but then unofficially the campaign said, we love what you're doing, but can you swap that for hope? And I think you're right that this image activated politically a younger generation of new voters who maybe felt like what they wanted in their political candidate was impossible or that they were marginalized. And now all of a sudden through this image and the accessibility of what Ferry did, all of a sudden they felt empowered. And uh, when you said he was the only one who did this, I just I wanted to remind you guys of Matthew Brady, who was a photographer in the 1860s, and he took a photograph of Abraham Lincoln when Lincoln was running for president. And that, I actually believe, was the first time that there was this really powerful intersection between art, 
and a political candidate that ended up being magically successful. And Lincoln said that Brady was the one who secured the election. So yeah. it doesn't happen often. Yeah, and there was, look, and there was other artists who were part of that campaign. I mean, I had put out a couple of Obama images. A lot of artists had. Mine was not nearly as successful visually and as visually striking and as iconic as Shepard's was. But certainly you look at artists like Ron English, who did the Abra Obama or the Obama Khan or whatever it was, the Abraham uh, Abraham Lincoln Obama hybridization that he did, that became a pretty famous image and iconic image it's, itself. But nobody, nobody's image really struck a chord like Shepard. But let's let's put a pin in that and say Shepard is also a master. And props to Amanda, his wife, who I know uh, Shepard and Amanda personally. Uh, as as their kids went to my kid's school for a while, and I just know him from around the way. I mean, we're we're neighbors here in in Los Angeles, and the art community is small. But you know, Amanda leads. Amanda leads. You know, she knows how to to run run a business, and I think that he's not only Amanda, but he's got a very smart, successful team around him. And during that, Yossi. Uh, was also part of Yossi Sargent was also part of that whole campaign and really was was an important person in in getting his work out there. So Shepard Shepard not only is a smart person, uh, obviously he's an able articulate dialectician in terms of how he speaks and he could really get people fired up. But I think he's got a very important, which is what you need today, team of people who have his back, who are able to ride or die for him, specifically Amanda. And I think because of his machine, he's able to get shit done. And he's not the only person creating these images, clearly. I mean, he has people that are working for him. I mean, the sheer volume of output of his imagery is important, is, is you know, impossible for one man uh, to achieve by himself. No man is an island, and certainly Shepard uh, is backed by a very powerful female who is able to to run shit, you know what I mean? And, and, and he's been able to be that successful monetarily and visually because of that. And it's interesting you mentioned this team because Ferry has received criticism for this outsourcing or this mm -hmm. creation of a community of people who help with the actual execution of his art. And co-option of other people's work. He's received a lot of criticism on that tip as well. Right. And for both of these things, I think that Ferry is an easy fall guy because mm -hmm. he is the one who is recognized. And mm -hmm. I think artists appropriate other people's imagery mm -hmm. all the time. Everybody does it. Sure. And it's true that he ran into a little bit of a kerfuffle with the... I can't believe I just said that word, by the way. I haven't actually said that sure. ever in the You're history of my You're such a kerfuffler life. right now. I am I feel like we're in a Dr. Seuss uh, <laughs> reading right now. I don't know if that's actual, if it's a word. But anyway, he got into some trouble with the Associated Press because of this Obama image, because it was based off of a photograph, a mm -hmm. stock photo from the AP. And he had to argue fair use because he transformed the image. And of course he used a photograph. Everybody uses photographs as reference points, but they, good artists, they transform, first of all, the intent, but also the design. 
So I don't think that Ferry is alone in that. I think that he is just the easy person to look to because of his recognition within the zeitgeist. But then the other thing that we were talking about is this inclusion of other artists to execute the design. And so many people have had workshops, and Ferry is really transparent about that too. And I think he's often associated with Warhol because of this factory-like mm -hmm. environment but I actually think that his work is more akin to the pop artist James Rosenquist, mm -hmm. specifically with what he's doing now. There was this massive 12 canvas compilation mural that was just at his one-man show in L.A. last year. And it looks like that sleek pop aesthetic of a Rosenquist. Do you know Rosenquist's mm -hmm. work? Mm -hmm. Right. So he was a billboard artist, and everything is really crisp, and he would seemingly or he would juxtapose seemingly random things next to each other and once again going back to that obey psychology viewers want to craft a story and so this one in particular that I'm thinking of there is a newspaper text that says manifest destiny there's a a woman of course a normatively attractive woman because most of his work does involve attractive people mm -hmm. but all of That's these so weird because he never paints me, but go ahead. <laughs> Maybe he will after he listens to this, I, I if he does. So. But there are all of these seemingly disparate elements that together will create this complex story that is rich with hybridity. And that's something that Warhol never really did as much as Rosenquist. So I think that part of why I appreciate Ferry's work so much is because he activates so many art historical figures in the past. I see L. Lizitsky, this Russian constructivist, in some of the more political work and the, the sharpness of the design. Sometimes uh, Ferry will use the font Futura, which makes me think of Barbara Kruger, who would also investigate this dynamic between image and text. And there are just so many layers. There are. And he's able to take pop cultural figures, too, and uh, he just did one down my block. I mean, he's like every, it, that's crazy to say because he did that one down my block, one down the other block. You know, there's always <laughs> something somewhere. You can, you could always, he really is everywhere. Uh, talk about all city. Shepard went all city with, with murals. Uh, and I think that, you know, he really was able to canvas the world, you know, by recruiting the youth, you know what I mean? Because it's so cool. Like way back in the days, I remember kids just like having Obey stickers and being able to slap them up everywhere because it was like the cool shit to do because they were getting free swag and just putting it up. So he's smart, right? He's able to use the cool factor to recruit a whole generation of kids. But he is also getting back to the pop cultural thing. You know, he's painting Chuck D and he's painting Sid Vicious and he's like, you know, he's got a little bit of a lot of rock and roll, uh, a uh, ton of punk influence in his characters or his portraits, and of course a little bit of the hip hop flavor, which usually is a little bit more politically charged hip hop flavor, like a Chuck D. So, you know, I, and look, I've heard criticism from all my from friends of mine and associates and colleagues of Shepard, and Shepard's not this and he's not that and whatever. But, you know, quite honestly, every time I meet the man too, I have to say he's probably one of the most humble, respectful people. Uh, and artists uh, I've ever seen. I remember meeting him at a friend's party, and I asked him during the time of, of uh, my street art throwdown show and asking a fair use question, and he was really, he's always been very giving and, and knowledgeable and 
authentic with his with his vast amount of knowledge and Amanda as well his wife so not only is he you know this great powerful visual important artist but he's also pretty freaking humble considering the level that he's at Absolutely. And I was really nervous to meet him because as a historian of contemporary art specifically, I have had many instances where I've loved somebody's work or the projection of their persona that is curated, as I unfortunately had to learn. Like a romantic artist, I realize upon meeting, he's a total D-bag or uh, somebody who... Like who? Like you. Okay. Besides me. Besides (laughs) me, that's obvious. Or then somebody who celebrates or is trying or celebrates the experience of a community or is trying to be supportive of people experiencing homelessness, for instance. And then you meet and you realize, oh, you're just exploiting these communities for your own benefit. A homeless guy asks them for like a dollar. He's like, get away from you, you bum. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So I was nervous because I have really admired Fairy for years and years and when I first met, oh, and then another one, this is just a, a really funny example. There's this African-American artist who is phenomenal, one of the greatest visual thinkers I've ever seen. And I had dinner with her years ago, and she's telling me about these alien lizard creatures that are living underneath the crust of the earth. Mm. And I just thought, no, <laughs> why? So anyway. That could my, happen. It could be the alien, <laughs> reptilian. But um, so meeting in meeting Shepard, I was nervous about that. And he is so generous and he is so kind. Mm -hmm. And I think he lives his life through that space of abundance. And it's the most the most successful artists are the ones who feel like they can respond to you and that they can engage with you and that he doesn't have to have a scarcity mindset. And he doesn't. And he. He's a really a humble and a soft-spoken, but an incredibly intellectual man. Yeah, and I think that we spoke before about the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. The scarcity mindset are people who are very afraid to connect you or others with other people because they're going to sever their connection or they're going to not be able to drink more from the fountain. But those who are able, like Ron English so eloquently said, to us where he said, why would I not hook another artist up with a collector? Because a collector is only going to buy, you know, two, three, if I'm lucky, four of my paintings. So, of course, I want to hook up all my other friends with this collector because it's going to spread the wealth, right? And ultimately, it's going to be good vibes, positive vibrations, good energy all the way around. I believe, I do believe that Shepard is, uh, is that way. And I think that when you are that way, more comes around to you. It's a little bit more of a boomerang, spiritual abundance and flow. APC flow, as, as I like to call it. And I think that Shepard's always been that way. You know, Shepard's always been, uh, you ask him a question, he's going to take the time to answer you. You write him an email, he's going to take the time. That doesn't mean all y'all should just write him an email. Don't be, <laughs> re, don't be out, out your mind. The man ain't going to have that much time. But he's been pretty cool about it. And uh, considering his fame and his fortune and his successes, uh, really even going back to the street and to be able to get up, like, you know, with the, with the kids is a really cool thing. Because Shepard, you know, Shepard's done, you know, still getting up there on his own. You know, he he's one of those dudes who's really kept it relatively real by continually hitting the street and being able to create on a grassroots level, even though he's creating on a high, high level as well. 
Yeah, so let's tell viewers who are maybe in L.A. and they can actually see, or listeners, but who want to view Shepard's work in a public space, where they can go. And how about anywhere? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's like where it's, uh, you could go any you could be in like Cincinnati, Ohio, or you could be in like, you know, downtown L.A. or you could be in, you know, Brooklyn or you, wherever you could be in Boise, Idaho. I bet you he's got he's got something. That's there. true. They all uh, they are all over the place. There's one in L.A. that was at the time the biggest work that he's ever done. I'm sure he's since done something bigger, but it is on the facade of the library in West Hollywood. And there are three walls that were curated by Jeffrey Deitch, mm. then curator of MoCA. Um, and it was a companion piece to the Art in the Streets exhibit that we've talked about on the show. And so there was a Shepherd Fairy, there's a Kenny Scharf, and there's a Retina. And that huge Shepherd Fairy wall was actually the first outdoor piece of his that I ever saw. And it's called Peace Elephant. And I love it because it integrates the design aspect of his work. There's a tiny little hidden Andre the Giant face in one of his stars. And it also is political because the peace elephant is a reference to California's object or just the the way that we were critical of the Iraq war. And yet it is subtle, it's codified, and it is still aesthetically pleasing. So I thought that that work really synthesized pretty beautifully all of the elements of his design that resonate with me. And I don't know how long it's going to be extant. I heard rumors that it was going to be whitewashed. So for anyone in L.A., I highly encourage that you go see it. But it's huge, it is immersive, and it's a really special piece to get to see. Yeah. So... If you don't know Shepard Ferry, then you've probably been sleeping because <laughs> you got to wake up. You got to wake up from your your little blissful rest because I think uh, in the gallery walls, outside of the gallery walls, on T-shirts, on stickers, on posters, on record covers, on book covers, on everything, I think he probably is the most pervasive artist alive today. With all of his works combined, the collective oeuvre of Shepard Ferry exists in all of our minds because we've all seen it. I don't think that anyone could say like, you know, when I show people my DJ, they're like, oh yeah, I, I, I've seen that or I think I've seen that. And some people actually haven't, but most people have, but I don't think that most people haven't seen Shepard's. I think all people at some point know one of his images at the very least, his Obama hope. You know what I mean? That's a weird thing to say. That's a weird kind of like, that's a cool thing to say. Like, oh, I'm Shepard Ferry. Uh, I don't know your work. Mm, have you seen this? Nah. And then you show the Obama one. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. There's no one alive that hasn't seen his work. And probably all the way to the, you know, outskirts of, of Belize and, and India. Like, people have seen his work. That's there, crazy. Super crazy. There is such ubiquity associated with his design. But what I love about that is that as prominent as he is, as he is within everybody's visual lexicon, it's about the work and not about him. The Obey clothing, for instance. Tons of my students wear Obey. And at sure. first when I saw, I would say, yay, Shepard Fairey. And they would look at me like I was insane. And so <laughs> they didn't, <laughs> but they didn't know. know who did it. Yeah, that's funny. Right. And so I think that is a sweet spot for an artist to communicate his or her message without using 
his or her own fame to do so. I think also it gives you a little bit more longevity, perhaps, because if anything taints the individual, people stop wanting to be uh, aligned with it. And for him, if you're able to keep that a certain anonymity in terms of what he looks like or who he is, yeah, for all people know, you know, Obey could be some crazy designer from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, like a beautiful six-foot-two black dude. You know, who don't we, we don't know, but everyone's going to project their own idea of who they want to be the creator of this. And I think being able to kind of stay and exist in backstage in the shadows, it's good ultimately for the overall brand because... Because as much as Shepard is an artist, Shepard is a brand. He really is. He has become a big brand. And I think that's important to preserve the integrity of the brand is to, I've seen Shepard on talk shows and I've seen him on TV and we've seen his documentary on Netflix, like everywhere. But at the end of the day, I think it's actually a better look for Shepard to kind of keep it on the down low, really. Longevity-wise. I do, too, because when you say that we are then encouraged to project our own analysis or our own interpretation on the work, it becomes easier to do that when we're not so marred with the specifics of the creator. Mm. And so I think he does that really well because the Obey clothing, also the Obama, people know the work and the clothes and the brand more than they know about him. And so I actually think that is a great advantage that he has. Okay, so would you say that you love Shepard Ferry? I told you I'm obsessed with him. Okay, obsessed. <laughs> well, I think I love Shepard Ferry too. Okay. Well, for like I said, if you don't know Shepard Ferry, wake up from the slumber because you know him even though you don't know that you know him. Peace.